0: It is a special time because let's not bury the lead. Brett Westbrook is engaged.
1: I'm engaged. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that that has to be first and foremost uh, most exciting for you. So congratulations. Thank
1: you. Thank you. Very exciting.
0: You have a you have a wedding date planned. I do it's
1: next July. Okay. We're so. trying to wait until you know some of the pandemic, so we didn't have to have masks and all that fun stuff. So it's coming up.
0: yeah yeah well lucky man lucky man and uh so congratulations again and uh wedding in the berkshires we're
1: actually married in connecticut
0: oh okay yes okay yes that's That's... his hometown oh that's nice (laughs) i mean a lot of times you know people think oh berkshires but when you're from the berkshires sometimes it's nice to kind of do it maybe somewhere else yeah um but uh, and if it's his hometown that's good good all right um so big things ahead for you and then you were recently, and that's why I reached out to you. Uh, you were honored uh, as a Massachusetts the the Heroine Award. Uh, you're a hero, um, unsung, <laughs> um, but uh, we're trying to change that a little bit. So, congratulations uh, on that. Was that a surprise to you? Thank
1: you. It absolutely was a surprise. Um, I was totally honored um, to just be recognized because you know when we I've been doing this work a long time, mm-hmm. and I just kind of do it like we kind of just dig in day to day and help families and do what feeds our passion and do what we can do to give back with really, well, for me personally, I never expect um, the recognition, but it also does feel really good that I'm making an impact um, so that people are noticing. And that's really what we set out to do is to have an impact on the community. So the award to me means that that's working um, and really motivates me to just see what else I can do. How else can I kind of contribute?
0: I can't imagine something that is more impactful in our community than working with kiddos who are three to five years old. I think that's the the, the age yes. frame uh, that you work with as the, the head of Head Start in Berkshire County. Um, I think we know perhaps more than ever how important those years are as far as brain development. Um, so super important for you, in your career, when did you decide that this is what you wanted to do uh, in, in your uh, professional life?
1: Yeah, well, I started my career very young. Um, at 16, I was okay. a one-on-one aide at Girls Inc., which is now the Brigham Center. Okay. Um, and so I started this work with five-year-olds and kind of seeing the kids that are just coming in. From kindergarten and just kind of getting started. And so that really ignited, like, oh, I really like this. This is what I want to do. Um, So in that organization, I kind of worked through all of the different age groups. I worked with teens, which was exciting. Um, I worked with just school age kids. And, you know, it kind of just drew me back to the smaller ones. And I was really interested in how they're learning and developing. Um, And so I think that's really when it started. And then I just did that work for so long. Eventually, I dove into family work, um, where I was working with the entire family um, at the Family Resource Center. And I just started to evolve as a person and professionally, and just really seeing the good that I could do. And so when the opportunity came for Head Start, and it was focused on young children and families, it just made sense for me to move in that direction. So Mm -hmm. here I am
0: as we approach things as as parents um, as uh, an educator um, <laughs> it, it can be overwhelming because you know you have this sense of oh my god these children they're these possibilities and such potential and you feel like wow how how do we approach this uh, to, to give them the absolute best opportunity to be successful um, but all that can be so overwhelming <laughs> because it's like you know you just gotta be able to get through life and be able to make sure they can tie their shoes at some point right. and and all those uh, the basics of life. So I guess when you look at the approach uh, to kids, especially you know starting at three, mm-hmm. um, what are some of the major things that you? Focus on um, as an educator at Head Start, um, and I know guess you're like, oh, you know, can this child be the great tennis star, or can you know, like, you know, and or or what have you? But like, but then there are the the basics. So you know, educating a three year old, how, how does that begin for you?
1: Yeah, so I think you really have to take a holistic approach. So. When we think about our kids ready for kindergarten, or like what are they going to be when they grow up, there's a lot of components to that. So there's the learning, the one, two, threes, and the ABCs, but there's also the clinical component to that. That's really important to me. I'm um, looking at mental health, looking at social emotional well being. I'm a social worker by trade, so that is naturally where I fall. Um, and thinking that if people, you know, if not people but children, uh, well, people in general don't have a foundation. It's really hard to learn if you are if you're baseline is not in line. Um, And so really taking that clinical approach and also that multi-generational approach with working with the families and what can they do to contribute to their child's development is really important. And so that, again, is what really drew me to Head Start is because it has all of those things. It has the educational aspect. It has the nutrition aspect where Mm. we're checking hearing, we're checking vision, we're getting kids glasses, making sure they have a dental home. Um, And so it's really a lot more than what goes on just in the classroom. It's supporting those kiddos in all of those different ways and also supporting the parents to be a part of that process.
0: Hmm. And for Head Start in particular, who are the kids that are eligible for that? Um, my my initial thought is income eligible, but in Massachusetts, there's there's a little bit more sounds like there's some flexibility there as well.
1: Yeah. So we do, there are some income eligibility requirements for Head Start. Um, Our program actually has both state and federal funding. So we are able to offer some free childcare for half day for families that qualify, but we can also help Families that are in a, a voucher, um, which gives them that full day wraparound care. Mm-hmm. We actually recently just received some funding from the city of Pittsfield, where we're going to be providing some more free childcare full day slots for families that really need help and are kind of in that gap place. Like you might make a little bit too much to yeah, qualify for yeah. a voucher, but you know you don't quite. Meet some of those eligibility requirements, so um, we're going to be able to have some flexibility there to help those families and really just make sure that no one's falling through the cracks.
0: Hmm. And and there's a there's a economic component to this as well because you know some people look at this and, and I'm sure um, from a household standpoint, mm-hmm. Head Start once a kid is, is three and it's a full day. Yep. Now you have the opportunity for both parents perhaps or or whatever the situation is sometimes it's just one parent but being able to work right. um you know and, <laughs> and I mean, there's a there's a whole unpack that one about our whole society and how yes. you know it takes two incomes to make a household work and you know and and should shouldn't a parent be able to be a stay-at-home mom, you know, comfortably that sort of thing. But let's put all that aside, there yeah. are the things that we can't control. And some of that is is economic. And you know, I always thought about pittsfield and my kiddos were able to be a part of a three-year-old program it was through the pittsfield public schools it was a half-day program but i always felt as though a three-year-old program should be something that is uh an opportunity for every student from a social emotional standpoint um from starting to develop those skills and then also because of the necessity of economics um of, of home economics um I don't know if there's a question there, but from from on that, but uh, you know your thoughts about that uh, starting kids in in that social aspect of, of being a three and and having that opportunity.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I think every three-year-old, no matter what the economic status is, should have access to quality care. Um, we actually do serve families that are over income, which is a great flexibility for our program. Um, a certain percentage of our kids can be over income, and so Head Start. It's interesting that you mentioned stay-at-home moms because that's kind mm. of the model that Head Start was built on. It was hmm. stay-at-home moms work for three hours with your kiddos, and then you know take your kiddos home. Um, and then as we so, develop, so the moms would would go. Yes, and and
0: okay. So So this is is educating the parent uh, as as well. That was the original model.
1: Yes. And we kind of live true to that now. We really look at our families and try to hire our families to join our team. And we have quite a few staff um, who are Head Start parents who are either on our policy council, which is a part of our governing body um, that oversees all of the physical and legal obligations of the program. Um, and we're really intentional about that when we meet a family who's like, "Well, I really need employment, I don't know what to do and working with them and providing education and training so that they can be teachers um, and move up through the program. So mm. that's one of our models, and we really try to be intentional about that.
0: Hmm. And over the years, and maybe it has happened, you know during your career as well, I know a lot of the tr- the, the the splice between what child care, "Quote unquote is mm-hmm. and education within that component because the way I think about it, it seems like every early childhood program has that educational component to it. Now, yes. um, and for me, play <laughs> is education mm-hmm. as well. It absolutely. I, what, I mean, what is that? That's that, that's. I guess that's my question to you, what is education for a three and four year old?
1: Yeah. Well, I think, again, I think it's very complex. I don't think it's one thing. So I think there's that social emotional, like learning how to Recognize big feelings and how do I cope with that? And how do I repair a relationship if my friend stole my block? What does that mean? <laughs> um, you know, so there's that piece. But like you said, the play kids get a lot out of play. Mm. So when someone, when a child is building something, they are they're counting the blocks, they're balancing the blocks, they're figuring out how tall can I make it until it falls. That cause and effect. Um, so there's a lot of things that take place, and you know, the classroom is set up intentionally for kids to explore. In that way, which I think is really important. Um, And again, there's really solid, intense curriculum um, that teachers implement every day. And of course, it has play um, and different activities, but they're really practicing these curriculums to fidelity. And we're monitoring outcomes to see is this working? Does this kiddo need something extra? Um, Do I need to change my approach? And really kind of honing in based on those assessments.
0: Yeah and And that's how we do learn is by sort of cause and effect. Mm-hmm. And, and education as a whole, you as an educator, um, I feel as though this whole era of standardized testing is mm-hmm. we're starting to see politically the cracks in this in the foundation, I guess, as far as that goes. Mm-hmm. We're not there yet. Many of us have talked about how standardized testing uh, has a lot of a detriment to it, um, and overly focused on on these tests, and how teachers are losing their creativity and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, just your your thoughts on where we're going with this? Because I assume you know, three and four year olds aren't taking many MCAS exams. <laughs> I mean, there may be some uh, you know, assessments, I'm sure, yeah. that, that are being done, but I I, I would think that that's not. The overarching uh, focus, right? Yeah, or maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs>
1: no, I mean, no. Um, <laughs> you're putting me in the hot seat <laughs> <that's> here, <laughs> but um, no. I mean, I think again, like you mentioned, we lean more toward assessment. So yeah. I really strongly believe that we have to meet these kiddos where they're at. Um, there are a lot of other factors that come into play when you think about education. If a child does not have stability in one way of their life, they cannot come in and perform. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think we, we all know, like not every kiddo has the best living environment or access to the best resources. Um, and if you are going to school and you're hungry, that you're going to prioritize that over like this test that you have to take. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think we need a little bit more flexibility um, in in using that model. Let's meet kids where they're at. Let's get their needs met so that they can advance and they can take this information in. And that kind of goes back to that social emotional model, right? Like You can't take in information if you're elevated or if you're worried, if you're stressed. Um, You have to deal with those things in order to be open um, to learning.
0: Mm. For sure. For sure. So then once they're 5
1: <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> then then it's sort of it, it, you know, it's funny to, to think of it that way cuz even once kids are in kindergarten uh, I, you know that yes there are certain uh, benchmarks but um but my gosh uh even even then you know we're hoping that we're not just putting them in front of a test now, you know, I'll say that you don't have to say that i <laughs> know you're in the system, you know, um, but, uh, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's the political people that have to sort of shift things and we can have the conversations in private, um, to kind of, uh, understand what's happening. But I, you know, I, I do think that, that there needs to be a, a shift there, but, um, looking at that, the challenges that you have, and I think a lot of people look at Head Start and say, wow, there must be some incredibly difficult, um, challenges uh, that that you need to deal with as far as uh, the population that you serve. Um, in your time there, you know how how has that shifted? have you been able to um, get a, a good feel of that? What are, what are some of the areas of focus here in the Berkshires mm-hmm. that um, require more attention in, in Head Start? You know, what are some of those challenges?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we have a pretty diverse population. The needs are pretty diverse. Um, I would say we definitely see a lot of families that are underserved due to language barriers who have a lot of challenges trying to access resources. Mm. Um, I think as a community, we have been having these conversations. Um, I'm not sure we're exactly where we need to be in order to be better um, for those families and to reach out to those families who, again, are not accessing services because there's a the language barrier. Mm. Um, transportation is huge on the list um, and getting kids to program so that they can access um, the classroom and so parents can access other services. Um, I also think that, you know, we could probably do a better job um, just kind of focusing again on that social emotional piece and what that means for adults and for their children. So there's you know, we just came out of a pandemic, we all know that, right? Mm -hmm. And there's going to be more really unique challenges And, you know, we're going to see different behaviors. We're going to see different reactions, people who either don't want to engage or, you know, are just really struggling and can't even think about, you know, getting a job because they don't have childcare. You can't really get childcare if you don't have a service need, you don't have a job. So it's like people going in these circles and really just trying to identify where those families are and how can we help them um, and how do we reach out to them? I think that that is really a challenge right now.
0: So that's okay. So I'm looking at that one kind of uh, hypothetical. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) So in order for a child to be eligible for Head Start, there may be the requirement to have the parent be working
1: because for for, yes. for for
0: okay so for, for, oh, a full
1: day, for a full day for a full day okay. like for a voucher that's one of the requirements gotcha. is that okay. you have to have a service need if it was a morning only program there's a, there's more flexibility there yeah um but
0: you can see the catch 22 exactly. that happens to some families <laughs> so right. like okay how do i get a job if i don't have childcare but i got to have the job to have the child you know so yeah. um so clearly yeah those are complex Cases that you have to work with and try to make that all uh, come together for uh, for families. And then you add a language barrier into the mix. Um, uh, Do we have an I get well, I guess the answer, maybe no already, because you suggested this, that uh, do we have enough resources for those who uh, have English as a second language, uh, particularly the parents who are trying to uh, navigate this?
1: I think we could do a little better. Um,
0: (laughs) You're so diplomatic. You know, I mean, I will
1: say from, you know, a few years ago, I think we were like, not in a good place. We're okay. not in a good place with kind of getting access to families that don't speak English. Um, I do think that we've come a long way. I mean, in my field, we try really hard to diversify our staff, um, to represent the people who we're serving. Mm-hmm. And um, again, that's really it's really difficult to do. Um, we don't have a lot of men on our staff. We do have some staff that speak Spanish, um, not a ton of other languages. So, you know, I think that we could do better, but some of that is just who lives in the area, who's kind of going into the field and just monitoring that and seeing what other collaborations we can have to really make sure that we're reaching these families, Um, which is one thing I think as a community, we do really well Mm -hmm. is collaborate um, and really kind of do some sharing of resources.
0: Hmm. And that's good. I think, you know, generally speaking, the Berkshires are better with that, yes. than uh, other places. At least that's what you hear, <laughs> because uh, in other portions, of, uh, locations, even in Massachusetts, you know, the idea is that uh, everyone kind of works in their silos, and right. uh, and and maybe just because of pure resources, we need to work yeah. together. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it's it's really um, a challenge. But you're a social worker, so you know, you signed that up for that originally. Right. Tell me about what made you decide that initially to say i want to be a social worker i know a lot of social workers of course there's a lot of different kinds of social workers ones who work in senior care, those who work in, in different facets. Um, I mostly know the ones in senior care. Um, but uh, but tell me about that decision growing up, uh, becoming a social worker.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've always been a helper and I've always really wanted to help others succeed and like reach goals. And so I think that initially, like I said, going back to when I was 16, that's what drew me to, okay, I'm going to go work at the Girls Inc., the Brigham Center, um, and start this work. And I honestly just fell in love with it. And yeah. <laughs> I also really always liked business, and so those two things kind of came together for me in a way that just made a lot of sense. Like I, I'm like a macro social work kind of person. I did a little bit of the one-on-one. I was like, hmm, not sure if this is for me. Um, but as I started to do things like parenting classes, I was doing a lot of parent education, and I was like, okay, I like this. And then I started running programs, and I was like, oh, like I'm really interested in the financial pieces, and like what does that look like, and then advocacy pieces? What does that look like? And so I kind of like married those two things together. um, And then Head Start had this opportunity for me to be an executive director where I'm like, what a a great opportunity for me to do both of those things, run a business, and also be able to kind of be involved with that social work piece. So Mm -hmm. it really just kind of I don't I don't even know the universe just aligned for me it feels like well yeah um with those two <laughs> things
0: <laughs> it tends to do that when you really know what you want um and uh what does it take uh, to become a social worker? What What is the schooling for that?
1: Yeah. So I got my MSW at Westfield State University. Um, that comes with a practicum. You have to do two years um, of internship. And so I actually did employment-based. I did one at the Family Resource Center for my bachelor's, and then I did one at Head Start um, for my master's. So the Family
0: Resource Center is... It,
1: it's at what's now 18 degrees.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. so...
1: That was interesting, working full-time. I was driving to Westfield twice a week, taking night classes, driving back, coming back, <laughs> going to work. <laughs> um, so it was a very difficult time, but it was well worth it.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Uh, yep. Yep. And, uh, and it paid off. It, did. Uh, it paid off. I do hope that you are enjoying the podcast. I just want to take a quick moment let you know that this is a production of 180 Media. That's my full service communications and marketing agency. We do a full range of content development, graphic design, web development for WordPress or Wix or other web platforms, copywriting, video work. Check out 180media.com and see also some of my past work and the agency's past work on my blog, johncroll.info. And now back to the podcast. I had this conversation uh, many times, I think, with uh, people like uh, you know Kelly at the Brigham Center and yeah. others about uh, the pay rate for early childhood educators compared to, like, I guess, teachers in public schools, uh, as an example. Yeah. Um, and and we know all teachers are not paid enough. <laughs> <laughs> but I but I always found it, and, and I wonder why the market is as such. Because again, it's not something that. Head start can control or because there's reimbursements for services, mm-hmm. you know, and and people need to understand that, you know, when the state or the federal government or both reimburse something, it's based on certain costs. And in those costs are assumed wages. Right. I, I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, yep. but early childhood has always, uh, educators have been paid at a, a significantly lower rate uh, for a very long time. And I wonder, is it because people are so willing to do the work that they'll do it for less? Because there are some job markets that are like that. You know, For mm-hmm. instance, people who want to go into broadcasting, <laughs> they'll intern for free <laughs> yeah. for years just to get a, a slot, that sort of thing. So I wonder if that's a part of it, or is it just simply an undervaluing of that, of that position?
1: yeah (laughs) we asked
0: we asked the easy questions (laughs) i know
1: i'm gonna go with the undervaluing piece and i say that because i know a lot of really dedicated educators it it honestly takes a special type of person to do this work it is not easy work yeah um and you know i work with educators that show up every day um to do this and you know i think the pandemic really brought to light how Mm. um devalued i guess i'll say child care has been i think people really got to see how important it is um so I, I'm gonna go with that because <laughs> I I really think that people are starting to now see you know these services are essential and not just for childcare you know it's not babysitting um like we are really teaching developing and supporting children and families to yeah. thrive and kind of be resilient and I think that now that that's kind of in the in the light yeah
0: I wonder I wonder if that was never uh, corrected when that shift happens it mm-hmm. happened because there i think we talked about uh before there was this kind of shift from quote unquote child care
1: right and
0: now to what it is today it's not very much not child care i mean it's child care <laughs> but it's but there's right. a huge educational component to it mm-hmm. um maybe that correction was never made in this in this market as it were
1: yeah i agree with that you know and at head start like we require a bachelor's degree to be a teacher it's not like you know just anybody can come in and do it and i mean well they can and we'll train you and you know pay for you to go to school and kind of do all right. of these things but They are high quality educators. And so it really takes a lot. You have to go to school, you have to pass your courses, you have to go to training um, every single year and you have to keep developing every year. And I just I'm not sure that the system has caught up with really what it takes to be an educator.
0: Mm, Absolutely. And it just it's a reflection of the values of a society. It really is, because when you look at Pay rates and and scales for certain jobs. You're basically saying that this is what you value, and this is what uh, it looks like as it relates to your priorities. Right. And uh, and that's never gotten its due. The research is there. You know, yeah. when children are between the ages of zero and seven, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. You, you know better <laughs> than me. Uh, but but that's when their their brains are developing so rapidly, yes. and it's so critically important. Uh, to to give them everything we can possibly give them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And just creating a safe place for them to figure out who they're going to be in that world, mm. right? And, you know, what are my thoughts? What are my beliefs? And, you know, they get a lot of that at home, um, but they're also exposed to a lot at school, a lot of different kids, a lot of different teachers, um, a lot of different experiences. So I, I certainly hope that... Um, you know, the direction continues to kind of lean toward, you know, this is a very important resource for families and that we see some change in the future.
0: Now you were born in Springfield. I was. Originally, but you came to Pittsfield. I was very probably
1: young. like six. Six. Okay. <laughs> very young. Yeah. Yes.
0: <laughs> so tell me about, well, I mean, you had some years in Springfield, but um, tell me about your your childhood and, um, you know, before 16, when you started at the, at the, at the Brigham center. But, um, but what was it like growing up in Pittsburgh?
1: Yeah. Well, when I first came here, it was just me and my mom. Um, we didn't have a lot. We used a lot of resources. Again, I think my childhood situation is what fed Kind of my passion to help others we leaned on a lot of programs to kind of to get by um i made a lot of really important relationships a lot of friendships that i still have today and so i just i feel like the community was really welcoming um for me and i actually went to girls Inc when i first came and that's really where i got a lot of my values i think um, and a lot of my confidence to do some of the things that i'm doing today um so again i've I blame childcare for, um, my tenacity and ambition and all of those things that kind of make me who I am and really gave me the courage to lead in this community.
0: That's You know, grit and tenacity. (laughs) (laughs) It's so important. And maybe for a long time, we didn't recognize that, but are, well, are, are, are we teaching kids, um, about that? Um, about you know pushing through i don't know what the right terminology is because there's this this perception out there Mm -hmm. you know people will talk about oh those millennials or (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're probably millennial right um you know which is all that's kind of ridiculous but um but the but you know this this sort of oh we coddle a generation or something like Mm -hmm. that maybe there's some truth to it probably not but um but where is that on your list of, uh, of values, that, that grit and determination?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, very high. <laughs> very high. Um, I would use those two words to just describe my personality in general. I think when we think about the kiddos, we really talk about resilience. And what does that mean? Um, You know, some, you know, something bad happens and, you know, how do you get through it? Or you have a big feeling, how do you get through it? How are you going to bounce back? Um, And and that's so important for kids to know that, you know, you can make a mistake. You can, you know, have an argument with your friends over the block, but guess what? Tomorrow you're going to be fine. You're going to be friends. You're going to be, you know, and really just kind of talking through that, I think is really important. And it's funny that you mentioned, you know, millennials, we kind of get a bad rap these days. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I think we are very strong minded. And one of the things that I've learned is to kind of like trust fall into life, right? Like you have to take the risks. You have to do the things that feel scary. You it, and you might, might fail. It's totally possible. Mm. Um but you look at what you did and you keep trying again. So really having that determination I think is really important and it's even more important to translate that to kiddos that are under five, for them to know, like you can do this, and you can take risk, and and you're gonna be okay.
0: Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, there there's a lot of fear out there, um, the fear of failure, and I think that's one. And, and again, some of this is so trite, but it's it's that way for a reason because it. It's true, you know the whole idea of failing forward. Yeah, um, that's that's a new term. Yeah, but uh, but you you know but you need to fail. Um, that's got to be one of the tough things because when kids are growing up, I mean, we, uh, our society is very kind of judgy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so so <laughs> Just a little. so
0: having kids, especially because uh, you see it, you know, they they get to a certain point where they start looking around and they start seeing. What other kids are wearing for sneakers and, yeah, and you know, who's cool and that sort of thing. And they get to a point there, I think maybe five, it, maybe, maybe even before that, it starts a little bit and then it kind of gets a little bit stronger later. Yeah. But that's really where they're starting to identify how they fit in and then being able to teach them or, or tell them that it's okay uh, to, to, fail, as it were, and right. and have other people, they're going to have to see you fail. Mm-hmm. Um, God, you know, it's, it's tough being a kid.
1: Yeah, it absolutely <laughs> is. Absolutely. But, you know, the more we can create those safe spaces for kids to feel like they can fall and, oh, like, you still accept me. You're still going to help me. You're still going to teach me. I think the better off we'll be. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we all need that, right? We all need to know we have that support system that we can mess up. And those people are still going to be there to support us.
0: Or even if they're not, it's okay,
1: right? Right. Because <laughs>
0: then you really find out who your friends are. Right. Right? That's right. That's right.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh my gosh, it it really is. I mean, if you think of uh, everything you you've, you've been through and how you evolve, I you know we've all had this sort of uh, journey through life and the way that you approach things. Um, it is, it, you know, kids. Uh, they it's it's a long lesson. Um, it's yeah. it, and we're all learning lessons. <laughs> <laughs> how many? employees do you have at at head start
1: we have about 77 employees right now
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and is that several locations yeah so we're
1: all throughout berkshire county so we have sites in north adams pittsfield um lee right now and great barrington
0: because the one that's very visible i think there's one on the current highway in north adams so that's the one that i always see and and always think about that um where's the location in pittsfield
1: so I we're at Meadow Lane, one Meadow Lane, right okay. behind the big pink church. That's how we always describe oh, okay. it. Yep. Behind See the, it. Yeah. See, everybody knows All when right. I say that. Of course. Yep. No. And we have one classroom at Conti, and we're actually opening a new classroom at Taconic, a learning classroom there.
0: Okay. So you're in collaboration with the schools. Yes. Um, that's interesting. So how does that work? Uh, because that may be Something that people would think, hmm, that doesn't, that, how does that make sense? But of course, you have certain resources for certain students and, and that sort of thing. But, um, but you know, what is it like working with schools and, and being able to maybe work hand in hand? I'm sure there's some collaboration mm-hmm. there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's been so, at, we've been at Conti for quite some time. Um, and we have a classroom there. I am we work with Carrie Light, the principal. She's, she's great. She's great, isn't she? Yeah, she's great. I love her. <laughs> she's one of our best. Um, yes, I love we her. You gotta keep her. Uh, yes, yes. Please keep her. Let's put yes. that point. <laughs> <laughs> and so they've always been really welcoming to Head Start, um, open to conversations as we grow and change, you know, through the pandemic and just as a program. Um, so that's been really great. We're we haven't started our program yet at Taconic. We're actually moving in tomorrow. Mm. Um, but again, I've been working with Tammy Gage and she's has been just wonderful, um, and Heather Thompson, who's over there, she works with the EEC cohort of the students, so she runs that program.
0: EEC, um, is... early education and care program. Oh, yep. oh, I see. So, okay, this is good. Yes. I like where this is going. Yes, yes. Okay. So, um,
1: so all of the students who are in high school and they attend her classes will have the opportunity to observe a Head Start classroom and actually go in and get some hands-on. Training and assist the teachers. Um, they'll get to learn about curriculum, learn about um, the Head Start model, and all of the different content areas that we have for kiddos. So, really, really exciting. Um, it's a great opportunity for us to build the future, absolutely um, workforce. Um, so, I'm really excited about it.
0: Right, and uh, and 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 hopefully, you know, someday we'll get the. And and I, and I hate to, I don't want to, <laughs> but it's just so ridiculous that we don't pay them, I mean, even, a, I don't know if it's a living wage is the right description. I don't know what the the going rate is right now, but it, I mean, is turnover an issue uh, with you or?
1: Absolutely. It is? I okay. think staffing is, is one of the biggest challenges in this field. Um, we are fortunate right now, a knock on wood, it's been going okay. Um, but we've also focused a lot of our budget on how do we support the workforce? So Mm. we have things like tuition reimbursement programs so people don't have to pay to go back to school. Mm. Um, We have revised our pay scale within our framework to kind of give people those increases. A lot of the money we got from COVID went through to incentives to the staff. Um, So really trying to build our benefits in other ways as well. But again, Mm. you know, it'd be nice to be able to pay them more.
0: Absolutely, because ultimately, if you have someone who uh has experience you want to keep that person the the nuances are are so difficult to teach right it takes experience um any any teacher educator um and the more children you're able to uh, help um it just gets stronger and stronger i mean it's just it's just the way that it is so you want to be able to keep them and then have as many of those good people Interacting and engaging with students at a good ratio. Right. Um, you know, we were talking about this before the show with uh, with Kara uh, about uh, having as much as far as resources in a classroom in a traditional classroom. Yeah. Um, I'm sure the same challenge is something that you have on on that. And I I don't know what the ratio is, but I assume maybe it's uh, a, a bit higher educator to student ratio at, at start because of the, because of their age.
1: Yeah. It's actually one to 10. Oh, wow. Um, we would never do that (laughs) (laughs) because if you can imagine trying to teach 10 little ones just by yourself, um, that could be really difficult.
0: So that's, so that's like your sort of, uh, base or is that it's a requirement
1: that's a requirement we, but you're yeah, okay. we typically have two we We're actually moving to a model of three teachers in a classroom with 16 children okay um because <laughs> doing my math know, there yeah that's, that's uh <laughs> it's
0: about you know five to six per right yeah, yeah okay. and
1: i think you know really we've learned through the pandemic because we had to have reduced ratios we just saw such um enrichment in the interactions and the individual time that kiddos were getting with their teachers with the smaller ratio. Ratios. Um, and again, I've been a, an advocate for that since day one. I think smaller classroom ratios so that kids can kind of get that one on one when they need it is really important. And so that's the model that we're shifting to now.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, again, sometimes there's a silver lining. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about virtual uh, you know, situations uh, from the pandemic, but also you had this idea that, well, that idea it was legitimately what you had to do was to have fewer kids in these spaces because of uh, social distancing but it works Mm -hmm. i mean go figure you have uh you know a higher ratio of educators per student um and fewer students per educator
1: right they're gonna do better right yeah right absolutely and we're seeing that and it's a lot Um, of support for the teachers to just have like those two other people in the classroom so if you need to tap out you need a break um, there's still two teachers in there or you know if you know anything could happen go on a lunch break (laughs) Hmm. or go on vacation right (laughs) Um, and then there's still two people in that classroom that the kids are familiar with they know the routine Um, so it's just a really important thing to try to have that continuity of care for the kiddos. And I think that model is gonna really work for us. We do have three teachers in some of our classrooms, but we're trying to get there in all of the classrooms.
0: Yeah, and with, are they, in the younger classrooms with the more teachers? Is that kind of how you it? So our classrooms
1: are actually mixed. I see. Um, So it could be, well, it's actually 2.9 technically that will take a child um, to five. So it just kind of depends on if there's a transportation need, there's certain rooms for transportation. um, But for the most part, they're pretty mixed. On
0: that bigger macro point how far are we away to the possibility of having universal pre-k well three-year-old i guess that's earlier than pre-k But that's something that has been talked about for a long time, Mm -hmm. universal pre-K. How close are we there? Is that conversation something that comes up in the wider community uh, uh, with other educators?
1: Yeah, it is. And I think, you know, the public schools are now having preschools in the classrooms, um, which I think is one step in the right direction. Um, In some of the schools that we've been in, like Conti, you know, we've been having some conversation about what does that mean with Head Start? Is there some collaboration that can happen there um, so that we can kind of Help with some of those other services that Head Start has access to, so I think that I think there's forward movement in that area. I I hope that it gets very robust and mm-hmm. that you know that's kind of where we are because there's also a lot of kids on wait lists because there's mm-hmm. not enough preschool slots.
0: Right, so there there's demand for it. Yeah, and it's sort of this hodgepodge, and 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 I think people who maybe like super organized or type a and how they how they look There should be a program for everyone well it's not really that way it's right. uh, you have the boys club and you have the uh, brigham center and you have uh, all these different mm-hmm. pr- you know private entities that make up this child care world right. um that that Basically, takes care of the kids in, in in our in our community, and some of them are maybe sort of more high end, privately paid ones, uh, maybe in, in South County or or otherwise. And then you know, there's the some that are maybe some that are subsidized partly. Maybe you can pay privately for those who are not income eligible, but those who are income eligible, maybe subsidized that sort of thing. So it's really a, a big mix of putting it all together. So there's no one big program Head Start's probably the closest you, you get to the, mm-hmm. to the big program I mean 77 employees and yeah. how many how many students
1: We serve a little over 300 a year
0: Okay so that's a that's a pretty big number are you yeah. the largest uh, for that
1: I think we are yeah, okay. um but again I I can't be certain there are yeah, other yeah. programs that have you know several locations I'm not sure what the enrollment is but mm.
0: and as far as the those standards are they kind of the same across the board now or are they all a little bit different?
1: Well, say, what do you mean standards? In
0: the sense that you know, if you have a child care program at uh, a, a different Head Start is is what it is. You have these yeah. sort of standards um, when they're being reimbursed by the federal government. Like, what yeah. are those standards consistent mm-hmm. across all those nonprofits that are that
1: are doing this? So I'm. Yes and no. Okay. So there's standards that the state puts out for your licensors that says every child care has to do this. You have to follow all these regulations. So on, for Head Start, on top of that, there's federal standards, um, which are specific to Head Start. And so we're kind of managing two of those so we have to take um which one is more strict we have to decide that and then mm. we kind of go by that okay um but all programs fall under that eec and have to follow those regulations um but we get to follow two sets of, <laughs> of regulation
0: <laughs> lucky you lucky, lucky you! and they don't yeah. always
1: you know talk to each other <laughs> right. but you know we we make it work um and i think is really what makes it a, a really strong program
0: hope that the pandemic that was part of the silver lining is people understanding the incredible value of, of this and, you know, again, we can look at society and say, hey, you know, we, we shouldn't make it so that two people in a, a household need to work to make ends meet or even, you know, if a, if a mother wants to stay home uh, with their with their child, you know, that but economically, uh, that that's uh, certainly a challenge mm-hmm. um, as far as that goes. So with those challenges. I'm hoping that we understand the value of this um, better as a society. I think parents do.
1: Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you probably
0: heard that. Um, and I'm sure there are a lot of parents um, during that time. And I know it because I heard it anecdotally that were like, "Oh my gosh, I appreciate teachers and early educators more than ever, and mm-hmm. more than I could have possibly imagined." It's unfortunate that it that that's what it took to to get there. But um, but at least that's some maybe momentum to um, to prioritize things more.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. You know, it was really hard. We actually had to shut down for four months during the pandemic and quickly kind of transition to, okay, how are we? still going to connect with these families so we did try a virtual model with which you know was interesting with kids (laughs) under five um, sitting on the screen and
0: (laughs) i mean it Uh, was was hard with high school kids i mean to three to five year olds my gosh
1: yeah it was difficult but we did it you know and Mm. even if it was just like having that face to face for a few minutes um and the teachers were extremely creative we were dropping off materials at home and they were kind of doing projects on the screen um so i think people really did see how hard It could be if there were no childcare. But, you know, it it was a hard time for our families. And I think that now, you know, we're in a place where we're really just trying to partner with them now that we're back open and keep them involved um, because they are their child's first teacher. And we're just kind of there to provide the resources around that.
0: So you were awarded award you were at uh, city council chambers in yes. front of the council adam hines uh read uh the uh, the proclamation and well you know <laughs> I, I see you're you're all I i take it you're you're kind of a humble person you know you're, i you're not, am but, but, <laughs> but what was all that like did you, did you get to go to the state house is that part of it as well
1: yeah so there was a big celebration at the state house okay. um as well where all the heroines were there um it was honestly it was very meaningful for me hmm. um to have the opportunity to do that here um and just kind of be recognized it was great i mean i think that there's a lot of heroines in our community. Um, So it really means a lot that I was recognized in that way.
0: Yeah. What was the ceremony like at, uh, on Beacon Hill?
1: Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of people there. (laughs) It was, you know, it was, it was fine. It was, you know, it was a big event. It was, again, I'm like very keep to myself. Like (laughs) I was just kind of like there, it was nice. And, and it was like, oh, this is like a really big deal, you know? And so, but again, for me, it was more meaningful at home just because this is my community. And to have that opportunity just was amazing. Right.
0: And of course, not as big as the big day next July.
1: That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming
0: quick. Uh, tell me, well, I mean, you don't have to tell me, but wedding planning, what is that? You're probably two feet into it now yeah. um you know the, like i don't know photographer caterer wedding dress like all these things uh yeah. flowers um what there's a lot <laughs> well, of moving parts well, but. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but i'm a planner by nature okay so um things are moving and you know we picked a venue that takes care a lot of a lot of the bigger things which is helpful um, but it's it's actually not been as stressful as I thought. We've kind of just been thinking about things one piece at a time. Um, it's all really coming together, and I don't know. I could imagine
0: happening. that. Yeah, if if you are uh, methodical about things, then it isn't stressful or as as stressful and it, you know what it shouldn't, it shouldn't be stressful I don't know yeah you know, this whole the Bridezilla stuff and everything but I, part mean, of I that can't is... say
1: that Bridezilla won't come out as it gets closer <laughs> I cannot say that
0: <laughs> well I'm so so happy for you Thank um you. it's a special year uh, it'll be I'm sure a special two years uh and and uh from from here on out uh, so Brett I I wish you the very best uh Thank congratulations you. again you're a shining light in this community and uh and keep up the great work.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the John Crow Podcast on your platform of choice. Maybe it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whatever works for you. Also, I would like to hear from you on the people and the stories that you'd like to hear more of. Send me a note through Facebook Messenger, Instagram, LinkedIn. I'm easy to find and I'm easy to reach. I look forward to hearing from you. And if you'd like to support the podcast for less than a cup of coffee, and I'm not talking about the cost of a large latte at a fancy coffee shop, no, more like a McDonald's coffee, go into the description of this episode and scroll down to the anchor.fm link. It's right there. Just click it and you can see your options or log on to anchor.fm backslash john hyphen kroll backslash support. Again, thank you for listening. I'm John Kroll. Talk to you soon.